This is Your Own Voice, the podcast about gender experience and perspective. I'm your host, Amy Breslow. Each week, I invite a different guest to share their personal experiences regarding gender and gender issues. When I use the word gender, I mean the range of social roles, personality traits, attitudes, behaviors, values, and relative power that society assigns to females, males, and other individuals. Gender is an identity that is learned. How we define gender changes over time and can vary within and across cultures. This podcast is recorded at my kitchen table and may contain sounds of life from my home and neighborhood in Washington, D.C. Episode 10. My guest today is Kat, who identifies primarily as a Persian woman and easily finds ways to identify with other people that she meets. Kat prefers the pronouns she and her. Kat, welcome to Your Own Voice. Thank you so much for coming over today. Hi, Amy. Thanks for having me. So I'd like to start off by asking, how do you identify? When you first asked me that question, I think immediately I want to say I'm a Persian woman. Um, but then I start to think about, I'm, everybody kind of makes fun of me because the minute I'm around someone, I start to instantaneously relate to them. So um, being either multi-ethnic or um, bisexual or multi-religious, I'm a Unitarian. So there, you know, it's kind of one of those questions as, um, I don't want to say I kind of blend into wherever I am, but I think part of me really identifies with, you know, blending into whoever I'm with and making sure that we're connected. So I think in a very real way, um, obviously I'm a woman and I'm very proud of that fact and, um, uh, a human, <laughs> not to oversimplify. <laughs> so Kat, I know in several different areas in your career, you've worked on gender issues and I'm wondering what in your personal life brought you to work on gender issues. And I believe you also studied gender issues as well. Well, that's kind of probably a convoluted <laughs> story. Um, but to begin with, I think my background just in terms of ethnicity and where my family came from and um, the trajectory of history um, that kind of accompanied that kind of pushed me more into gender work. Um, so my family immigrated here from Iran in 1976. And, you know, as a young child, you know, you don't really realize what's going on and the revolution that was about to take place um, and how much that revolution also encompassed a lot of women's rights issues. So growing up in an environment which was very open, my mother certainly was quite the feminist, my father um, as well, actually. Um, where we were very open, very pushed to, you know, not be confined to our gender roles. I actually didn't wear a dress, I think, until I was the age of five. Like, I refused, <laughs> much to the chagrin of my family, actually, who, you know, wanted to dress me up like a doll constantly. And um, But I was kind of a tomboy, you know, so this was something, you know, those gender roles were not required of me. This was in Iran? Like you, in Iran, you I was... Wearing... Pants, Pants and, shirt and shirts and just, you know, I was treated very much like whatever I wanted to be. I should, I should caveat that with my grandfather at the time was a general um, in the Shah's army, so nobody messed with me. So it was kind uh, of whatever she wanted to do, she did. And this is pre-revolution. This is pre-revolution. So then when we got here, it was, you know, basically the same thing. Um, and, you know, a lot of the um, issues that were being addressed in Iran at the time really surrounded um, how women were perceived. And so I think... I think my family was very cognizant of the 
how women were being oppressed and certainly didn't want me to grow up that way here. And, you know, I think there's a, there's a phrase that sometimes when, you know, immigrants come here from very oppressive societies, they become kind of born again Americans, right? So I think my father was certainly very much a born again American in terms of very aware of the freedoms and rights that we had. Um, and certainly very aware of the freedoms and rights I had as a, as a girl growing up in the United States. So um, that was something that was made very clear to me. Um, you know, and I think so throughout that time, you know, as a child, I just remember never being held back and certainly, um, always pushed to be able to do anything I wanted to, you know, that I remember then when we moved to Florida, um, Florida, you know, is a, a much more conservative, uh, area actually than we, when we first got to the United States, we lived in Potomac here. Oh. Um, and then we moved to Florida when I was a little older, I was in second grade. And I remember there it was a little more conservative, um, but there was, you know, they wouldn't let girls play soccer and things like that. And, um, I remember coming home and telling my father about this and he was like, we'll just go play soccer. Like it wasn't even a question of whether or not we could do it. So I remember my best friend and I, you know, kind of wanted to make sure that we were able to do all the things the boys can do. And I think, again, much of the reaction to that was a reaction to where we had just come from, um, and making sure that we were able to actually actively, uh, benefit from where we live now, you know? So, um, you know, growing up in that environment, I think, oddly enough, I think most people think you're growing up in an Iranian with an Iranian father who, you know, with our three girls, and certainly we were not encouraged to date boys or anything of that nature. But um, we were also pushed very much into things like STEM and, you know, science and math. And my father used to like, uh, compete with me on mathematics and things like that. So he was an engineer and, you know, just trying to make sure that I was not being held back because of anything that other people's perceptions of my gender. You know, and also I, I should, you know, in terms of what gets you passionate about gender issues, I think we all come up from for different reasons. And certainly when I was younger, I also faced a lot of trauma, like sexual traumas um, in my family, actually not not anybody particularly in my immediate family, but distant relatives that, you know, did things to me that, I remember as a very young child not wanting that to happen, especially to my sisters. Um, and I remember having immediate reactions when that person would enter the room and being incredibly protective of girls around me. Um, so I think that, that those kind of traumas are, leave an indelible mark into who you become. And um, I think that that certainly as I got older and got more engaged in you know, activism and, you know, working with civil society, that was certainly something that always in the back of my mind, I was aware of what people could do to young girls. Um, so immediately out of, um, after high school, I started working with, um, girls empowerment program. So I worked with a, a program in Fort Myers, Florida, actually, um, working with girls in detention centers who, um, interestingly enough, one of the girls that I worked with, um, I clearly remember she, so she was known for stealing cars and, um, you know, I, there, I had them journaling quite a bit. So it was, it was interesting for me to see what were they passionate about? What did they like? And for her in particular, I was like, why are you stealing cars? And then I would ask her, where were you stealing? And she actually was like in my neighborhood. Um, so I remember trying to make sure that she recognized her strengths um, great that you can steal a car is a skill in itself, but why don't you put that towards something positive? So, you know, we got her into um, automotive courses and, you know, how do we make sure that 
these things that, you know, me, people are saying to a girl, you cannot do that. One of the things that we heard um, from some of the, some of her family members actually was like, why does she have anything to do with cars? And that's not what young ladies do. But instead of gearing her towards like, that's not what young ladies do, she clearly has a skill set. And, you know, she actively got into working on automotive issues. And, you know, there were a lot of garages that wanted to hire her because many women only wanted to, you know, work with, uh, you know, um, people that were women themselves that they didn't feel like they were being taken advantage of. And so having that kind of, uh, basis was, you know, very motivational in, in me to say, I can connect women with different things that they can also tap into that, that they don't have any boundaries. What are they actually good at? So, um, I also worked in a gang prevention program in Reno, um, that was sponsored by the Girl Scouts. And so many girls that actually um, were supposed to have joined gangs or had gone through initiation rituals, the judges actually said, well, instead of going to this detention center, we're going to send you to CAT so you can work on this Girl Scout program. And, you know, we sponsored several girls to go through what ostensibly was an empowerment program if they graduated high school. Um, some of the local um, casinos actually sponsored them for college. And so, a lot of these different things, um, both in my personal past as well as, you know, what I did immediately during college, um, really influenced how I wanted to, and I saw some of my own strengths. What was I actually good at? What was I passionate in? Um, so that's a little bit of the background of what got me into gender issues. I also had a professor actually in school, um, Dr. Rocca, who um, was at Florida Gulf Coast University, was my first ever um, feminist theory uh, class. So we had some gender integration programming, things like that. So she was very good about, um, making sure we understood women's history, um, and brought that into a lot of the work that we were doing. And, um, that was the first time I'd ever actually learned about gender theories and really, um, feminism and the history of feminism. And so there were all of a sudden for the first time I was being able to identify with, oh, there's actual, you know, theories and an entire um, academic field on this. And so that was very helpful to me to kind of identify, you know, where these theories are coming from and kind of put where rubber meets the road in terms of evidence-based work. Um, so when I was working with girls, what were the theories behind that? So there was a book called Reviving Ophelia that I remember that I took a hold, you know, when I was in school, I took a hold of that and started to use that on some of the girls that I was working with. Um, so kind of making sure that the work that you're doing has an evidence-based basis for it, um, that was also quite motivational and how what kind of was my trajectory towards gender issues. Kat, when in your life did you first become aware of different gender roles? Oh, it definitely was as a kid. Um, as I noted, my my grandfather and my father were very um, active about not having anything hold me back. My grandmother was the opposite. Um, she certainly saw the role of what a typical Iranian lady um, should be acting like, that we should be sewing and dancing and um, singing in typical female roles. The irony of that situation is my grandmother ran everything and everyone. So... I think she had a perception of the um, the vision that she wanted people to see, um, but certainly that wasn't the reality. So I was also very cognizant of the fact that this woman who um, wanted everybody to believe this, you know, very gendered, stereotypical role for me as a almost a doll um, was completely the opposite of that. And she basically was, you know, you know, telling the general what to do and telling everyone in the household what to do. So. Um, I think I was aware of those rules, but also very 
strong and rejecting them at all while at the same time admiring the fact that my grandmother was running everything um so I think it was at a very young age I was aware of the the expectations of what girls should be like Kat what kind of gender issues do you find yourself confronting in the workplace or is it a non-issue for you oh in the world yes absolutely I think it's interesting, the higher up I've gotten in my place of work right now, um, the more it's actually confronted me. Um, so I, I found that, and, you know, I have a lot of great male colleagues who, um, you know, I've gone through the ranks with, and many of them have consistently used me as a subject matter expert on different things having to do with assistance and things like that. Um, but I found as we have now, there is a bit of a glass ceiling. So these are people that I have often helped throughout the years. Um, and I'm watching them now rise over me and it is incredibly frustrating to watch because in terms of either experience, education, or just general knowledge, um, and I'm not being arrogant in saying this, um, they often came to me for guidance and support and the ability to do things. And I'm watching them now be put over me or in positions that are higher level than I am. So it's kind of, I've reached that point of, um, in my career where I'm watching it happen now. Um, that didn't necessarily happen in, in my earlier years. Um, I would say that, you know, I felt, you know, in first getting into my career, that wasn't an issue. And I had a lot of champions and support. And, um, but as we are getting to the areas where, you know, the nice guy that doesn't necessarily fight as hard or the nice guy that doesn't necessarily have to, you know, put a lot, won't push back. Um, but just will do whatever the people at higher levels want often gets the positions, um, that I'm not even able to apply for, to be honest with you. I am more than sorry to hear that is happening. I'm wondering, why do you think that that is occurring? I mean, I've seen, uh, you know, a lot of people react to, they go for the safe bet for whoever they're elevating. And, um, and that tends to be the person that they relate to the most. And often the person that seems to not have as much of a passionate role in what they're actually advocating to do or um, I think it's the it's the easy choice it's the safe choice it seems like um, that's just what's comfortable um, again I don't take it person it's never a personal thing but you can see I've literally seen it happen like three times where somebody has gotten a position that would have been like I literally and I'm not kidding have done the trainings for or written the regulations on and they will give it to somebody who Honestly, I would I wouldn't hire um, because they are you seem like the the nice one or like it's it's a safe choice um, as opposed to this person might actually even know more than you. I could also you know I could be trying to soothe my own ego. I just know in terms of expertise, certainly it's not clear to me. Um, so I think I'm I didn't notice that before, but now as I get into the higher levels, I am certainly seeing it and feeling it. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm not sure. And, you know, I think it's something certainly in my um, department that I work in that they have raised multiple times and trying to make sure. I think it's a cognizant issue that people are trying to address. Um, I just have happened to see it. So <laughs> I agree with them. It should be addressed. Um, and hopefully we are all working to make sure that it's not just me that is, you know, benefiting from the changes coming, but 
um, that others as well. But certainly at the higher levels, you can feel it. Do you have any other comments you'd like to make about gender in the workplace? I mean, in the work that I do now, it is a very gender-specific world that we work in. And it's also fascinating to me to watch um, how the differences between what men and women bring to the table in terms of gender. I have seen amazing male champions. Um, but for the most part, it's also been, we're just glad a man is in the room that wants to talk about gender at all, whether or not they're putting in the same level of effort. Um, and we will accept their lesser level of effort just because they are a man in the room. And I myself have done it too. Um, so I think it's, it's something that we all need to be cognizant about. We're so glad that this man is also partaking in this discussion and pushing gender issues, but we need to expect them, you know, have higher expectations of them as well. It's not even fair to them. So I think that's going to take time. Um, and we all need to be aware that we do it. Kat, what do you think is possible in today's current environment in the current conversation around gender that wasn't possible even a few years ago? Honestly, a lot of the conversations about gender weren't even possible a few years ago. I remember, um, you know, having gender discussions be talked about as pet rocks. And, you know, it was, you know, everybody thinks of things in terms of let's talk about stability and security and, you know, male focused issues with ignoring the entire half the population that you need to make sure are included into every discussion. Um, I think it's very clear now that, that women need to be included. How that happens, I think, is still, you know, the devil is in the details. So I think the recognition that women need to be included is there. You constantly still see manals, and a manal would be a panel of only men, um, to often even talking about women's issues, So, which is absurd. But I think that there, certainly in um, most of the things that I am involved in, there is a recognition to make sure that there's a diversity of voices. So that's changing, um, and even symbolically, that is huge. So Conferences include, you know, high level women to, you know, they will go to, you know, very extreme, you know, um, efforts to try and make sure that women are included. Um, so I think that even symbolically that things are changing that weren't that simple before we'd have to actually like push and beg and ask for. Now people are coming to us to say we want to make sure that there is a woman, you know, with significant experience and that we could have on this panel um, or to be the face of this. And so I think that that is a huge change. That wasn't a, something that we could have done before. What about in your personal life? Have you seen any changes there? I mean, in, in my personal life, I, um, I've always, I've been lucky in that I, you know, the, the man that I married actually took my last name. Um, so I, you know, he has always been unbelievably supportive and, you know, I travel a lot for my job and he stayed home with our son. And, you know, I, so I, um, uh, as far as change, I think I've just always, I, I happen to select well um, in terms of, <laughs> of someone that is very supportive of gender issues. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's interesting having a teenage son now, um, and watching how he deals with gender issues. And for him, I think he, I don't want him to be so overtly, <laughs> I would say he's almost more of a feminist than I am, um, to the point where he's so deferential to women that I'm like, okay, you also need to be a leader, be an ally and, you know, making sure that, that 
that is also included in who you are. Um, so I, I think it's almost the, the opposite effect now. So watching him go through his teenage years, um, being such an overt feminist, which I love, but at the same time, making sure that he recognizes like you have to promote yourself and make sure, you know, you can't just defer everything to every woman in the room. (laughs) Was he always that way? And so one of my best friends um, has a daughter almost the exact same age. And so when they would play together, he was the one taking care of the baby and like, you know, all those kind of things. So he, you know, was always, and she would just tell him what to do constantly. So maybe he likes bossy women, but (laughs) I don't know where he gets that from. Um, But being very cognizant of making sure that he's able, you know, one of the things that actually has been really interesting to, to deal with is consent, having to do with his his role as a boy and how he's growing up and, you know, how he treats women in terms of like touching them. And, um, you know, if he hugs me too long, I'm like, you need to be very cognizant. If I, if I'm saying that's enough, you know, that's enough. And so being aware of personal space for not just women, but men, anyone, you know, and so kind of that road I think has changed a lot. Um, and I think it's hard for, you know, you know, you think about when you were growing up and like things that boys would say and things like that, he cannot say those things. And so talking about like teasing and like, you know, he's getting into this weird hormonal stage where girls are going to start coming up and things that he is interested in. So far, we haven't really hit that yet, but um, making sure that he understands like there are lines and there are levels of respect and whether it be a boy or girl or whatever, making sure that he's able to kind of maneuver through this very awkward, weird time, I think is new. Um, and I don't think we've dealt with it, um, at least in previous generations yet. So I'm super glad about the Me Too movement. I think it's, you know, calling things out and shedding sunshine, you know, is the best disinfectant. So I think this is a great thing for this next generation coming up and they're living in a world that, you know, I wish we all had that opportunity to live in, but at the same time, trying to figure out what those standards are has been, really difficult. Like we weren't brought up that way. So, um, you know, we're, we're kind of building the plane as it flies, um, which is kind of scary. Yeah. (laughs) So it's kind of scary, but at the same time, I'm, I'm glad that he is, he's just such a kind, compassionate, empathetic, you know, super respectful person. Um, and I'm glad it's, it's fascinating watching this young man grow up to be, you know, such a feminist and, and somebody that is just full of compassion. Kat, do you have any goals or dreams that you have chosen not to pursue? And if so, do you think gender played a role in any of your decisions? So in in the fact that I'm working on gender now, you know, you kind of start to analyze yourself and why you made decisions when you did. So I don't know if at the time I knew it was a gendered issue, but I think now looking back, I'm, I kind of feel like, well, I wish I had had more support in doing X, Y, and Z. So, um, in undergrad, I actually was a cellular molecular biology major. Um, I thought I was going to go to medical school. I thought that that was my trajectory was really to go as my, as I noted, my father really pushed me into science and mathematics. Um, but I can say, you know, now looking back, it was, it was not something that I was really supported in at during my college years. So, um, I was often the only woman in labs or in math classes, or it was just not comfortable. Um, and it wasn't something that, um, I felt super supported in, in the university itself. Um, now in the work that we're doing and learning, you know, how it's much more helpful if women work in cohorts and that they're provided support, you know, to be able to get through those years. 
Um, I didn't recognize it then in terms of this is a gender issue, but I certainly see it now, you know, uh, were there other women in the group? Would I be more likely to continue to do that? Or, you know, I just didn't necessarily feel like that was my space, even though I love the material. I love learning. I love the academics of it. I didn't actually like the environment I was in. So, um, yeah, I actually probably would be a doctor now if I, <laughs> if I could. Kat, can you tell me about a time when you thought that you couldn't do something or that there was something you thought you could do, but the consequences would be so great that it simply wasn't worth trying? Yeah, I don't know if it's necessarily a gender. I guess there are <laughs> gender aspects to this. So initially I um, had planned to do a, a job which required extensive travel and um, in, in war zones, actually in conflict areas. And so I would have had to leave my son as a baby with my husband for long periods of time. Um, and I remember asking if I could delay that, but the, the mechanism that I was supposed to join this particular program in, um, required me given language skills and other things to go to an area of conflict that I wouldn't have been able to take my family. Um, so I wanted to delay that based upon the fact that I had just literally had a baby um, and I was not given that option. So I, yeah, I thought the, the consequences of me not being with my child in the first year of his life were just too detrimental that I actually passed up the, the position altogether um, and ended up staying in a more domestic role. Um, and that, you know, I don't know ultimately how that changed my trajectory either for the better or worse, but I certainly made that decision um, based upon the fact as a mother, I didn't feel like I had, the, I thought the sacrifice was too much. Kat, is there something that you would like people to start doing differently today around issues of gender? You know, I heard that comedian Terry Crews talk about just kind of trying to make men in particular sensitive to how they talk about or treat women or um, in terms of just either how they talk to them sexually or, you know, just in general communication. And he said, if it's something, if it's something you would not want someone to say to you in prison, you shouldn't be saying that to a woman. So, you know, it kind of was a, an interesting take in, you know, and he was obviously trying to be funny, but it was true, you know, and I, I, there was another gentleman that, um, I had read this article about, he, um, he was a gay man that had said, I find it unbelievably insane that it's hard for men to understand it doesn't matter what a woman is wearing in terms of how you treat her it doesn't if I as a gay man you know did something or sexually harass someone or a, another man because they were let's say not having their shirt on or something like that this wouldn't even be a question so um, the fact that women are perceived to be you know sexual objects in a way that men aren't um, I think if if people start to put themselves in that kind of their shoes, I think that that would go a long way in terms of um, how they see the other gender or vice versa. You know, how are men looking at this? How are women, you know, themselves looking at how men are seeing things so that we are teaching them not to act like that or bringing that home in a way that will open eyes? Um, I think that's changing, but at the same time, I think we need to do everything to make sure we call them out on, you know, when inappropriate behavior is happening, whether it's men, women, whoever, we need to 
all be much more upfront about this is not okay and this behavior is not okay. So I think um, moving fear aside and being good allies and, um, you know, making sure that we're not allowing others to get away with things. That's the only way the society will ever actually change is we start to change it. Uh, which again, you know, watching my son's generation and how he has no problem. <laughs> I remember I thought I was being, you know, um, showing him a movie that he would like because he has, you know, 12 year old boy sense of humor. So we showed him um, Ace Ventura, um, which is Jim Carrey. And, you know, he talks with his butt cheeks and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of it, he said, you know, my son said to me, that was not very nice to transgender people. So I think he's watching this movie that he's going to think is hilarious and, you know, his 12-year-old humor. But what he got out of that was they were making fun of a transgender person and um, how offensive that was to him and how I didn't even see that, right? So I, you know, I'm often just awed by how his optics and his lenses are completely different even than my own. And I am trained to see these things and I didn't see it. Um, so I'm, you know, very hopeful about their generation. And uh, I think we all have to be open to the fact that we can still all learn every single day, you know. So you've mentioned a couple different things in terms of actions people can take. In addition to calling people out, what else do you think people can do? Yeah, I think calling it out, and that includes men and women, um, I think, um when someone says something that is offensive or just naive or whatever their optics is, try and meet them there. So the end trying to explain that's really hard to do. <laughs> um, as somebody that's, you know, confronted sexism or confronted gender issues, trying to talk to others that might not, you know, to come have them see things through different eyes or is very difficult and takes a lot of patience and a lot of time. And so sometimes you just don't, you know, have the time or the ability to do that. But if you can also being that person to say, you know, I'm going to walk you through this so you can see how I see this, because that can make often the biggest difference. Um, so I think those two um, issues in particular, I think will go a long way in just changing society. Is there a place in your life where you decided to push on anyway, even though gender expectations or gender norms told you not to? Yeah, I mean, I can. So I was in the Peace Corps, actually, in a small former Soviet Republic called Moldova. And um, when I was there, my first couple months in my village that I was placed, I was working actually with the local school and um, working on a democracy building program in the school and teaching them about, you know, how they can run for student government and things like that. So I remember going into the school one day and um, 10 of the girls that I had been working with weren't there. And so when I had asked, where are they? They kept telling me in Romanian, they were sold. And I was like, what does that mean? What are you talking about? This is back in 2000. Um, and I didn't know at that moment what trafficking of persons was. I had never even heard of it. So I, so I actually went to the embassy because they kept saying my Romanian must be really bad. They, these girls are gone. I don't know where they are. They told me they were sold, but that doesn't make any sense. Um, so that's when I first came into contact with what trafficking issues were and how women in particular were being taken from Moldova and sold either into sexual slavery or forced servitude. Um, and so, um, which poor Peace Corps, but I ended up pushing a lot to find these girls, number one, and then number two, um, really pushing on law enforcement there and kind of a lot of the corruption in, um, the area where I was, um, including international crime, 
and so getting myself into a lot of trouble. Um, and I was told repeatedly by some of the good law enforcement individuals, you know, a woman shouldn't be doing, you know, trying to look into these things. A woman shouldn't be, you know, trying to get involved in this issue. This isn't a place for a woman, you know, things like that. Um, I didn't listen at all. <laughs> I probably to my, my detriment, you know, I, you know, should have been more cognizant of my own safety and things of that nature. But, um, in retrospect, you know, and, and, and in many ways it could also have been dangerous for those women. So, um, not necessarily, I took it more of, um, you know, they kept saying a woman shouldn't. And so <laughs> for me, it was very difficult to even let go. Like I, I wasn't going to let them, you know, sideline me into what a woman shouldn't, shouldn't do. And then I also was very concerned for the well-being of these women. So, um, in, in that instance, that was, uh, um, certainly, um, a time that I pushed against that. Another time was, um, so I was in a program called AmeriCorps and we actually were trained in chainsaw, um, how to utilize a chainsaw and, um, all provided certificates on our chainsaw expertise. Um, and I remember we were in San Diego at the time and we were supposed to be cutting down all these malaluca, um, which are these kind of eucalyptus, um, non-indigenous plants that were growing everywhere. And one of the park rangers that we were working with was like, this woman can't do all this, you know, trying to take the chainsaw away from me to give it to one of the men. And I was livid. <laughs> I was like, you are not taking my chainsaw. Um, I am just as skilled and trained as like they are. I am, you know, using this chainsaw to cut down these trees. Um, and so I actually start challenged like, their favorite guy who was also on my team into having a chainsaw contest to see how, who could cut down the most trees, um, in, in a, the span of 10 minutes. And so we were chainsawing, chainsawing. And then on my chainsaw, the chain flew off and sliced. I still have a, I don't know if you can see it. I still have a scar, um, and sliced open my hand, but I was not about to stop because I wasn't, <laughs> I felt like I was taking on, you know, the entire male population and, you know, just to make sure that they knew I could chainsaw, you know? So I like wrapped my hand up and like told them, you know, I went through and like put my chain back on and still went through the contest and finished and won. Um, and ironically we were in like a local newspaper and things like that. But, um, again, probably not the smartest move, but at the same time, I, you know, I, didn't want that was very gendered and very geared towards me in particular so it was one of those moments where you just couldn't you couldn't give in you know you so girl. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah there are there are certainly those moments and sometimes to the extent that I probably shouldn't have kept pushing but I did anyways mm -hmm. and I don't regret it at all on either instance and learned a lot from them and um, hopefully helped not in my DNA to give in so well <laughs> Kat, is there anything else that you would like to add, be it on something we discussed or something that hasn't yet come up? The understanding that um, freedom is something, again, I think this comes very much from how I grew up, you know, being an Iranian in the United States, and that understanding that how important freedom and freedom of autonomy over one's body and one's self um, and how proud I was about being of an American with those freedoms. I do think that that is eroding in the United States. Um, and while I respect everyone's religious perspectives for themselves, I also think, you know, um, we are a country that's built on, you know, inalienable rights. And um, I think that as soon as people start to recognize, you know, 
your rights do not um, end where I feel like mine, you know, my need or my beliefs um, should be imposed on you. And I think that that's um, as soon as people start seeing people as their own autonomous beings with respect and dignity and um, that have the have human rights. Um, I think that that would be a huge change in our country and in the world, to be honest with you. I think that that is just something globally that people have a harder time with women, right? They, I mean, it comes from seeing women as oh, entities to be owned and a part or an extension of um, a man as opposed to their own autonomous beings. And I can't even believe that we're this many years into this and it's still happening. Um, but just recognizing that a woman is her own woman, you know, I think that that would go do unbelievable things to help everyone if people started to recognize and see women as individuals. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Um, first of all, I just want to thank you for doing this. I think that this is you know, such an important subject. And again, I think um, in terms of just moving um, society, these kind of discussions literally are how we're going to do it and that kind of connection and making sure we're all sharing our experiences and sharing our understanding. I think that that's literally how this is done. So kudos to you on that. Thank you. Um, I, you know, and, um, I'm hopeful that as we are, you know, I'm watching the new generation come up and I'm so unbelievably inspired by, watching my son and his friends and their understanding. I was never like that when I was his age, you know, where I just really understood what was going on socially, politically. Um, you know, they're, they are just so much smarter <laughs> and so much more empathetic and so much more compassionate. And um, I think that that is going to make a huge difference just in how equality is seen across the board. Um, globally. And I think that that, um, I look forward to seeing actually, you know, I keep putting all, I don't want to put all my bags in that basket because certainly, you know, there will be people that fight for power and, you know, it's not easy to share, you know, but hopefully we'll get there. So I'm hopeful. I'd like to leave this with, I am hopeful. Thank you for doing this. I think you are certainly doing your part in making that happen. Well, Kat, thank you so much. It has been such a great pleasure. I, I love talking with you and just thank you for not, not only for coming to do the podcast, but, you know, I know so much more about the work that you do in the world and I'm just so happy that you are a part of it. So thanks. Thank you. You've been listening to Your Own Voice, the podcast about gender experience and perspective. I'm your host, Amy Breslow. I see each conversation as an adventure and I love being surprised by where we go. If you found you had any questions during the discussion, I'd really like to know. You can submit questions on the website, yourownvoice.org contact. Your Own Voice is produced by your host with IT support from Alex Moreno and is registered with ProtectRite, music by Kevin McLeod. Thank you for joining us today. I'll be back in one or two weeks with the next episode. Until then, take care and be well.